Thank you for listening to this gospel resource from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. Feel free to use or share this resource, but we ask that you not alter the content in any way. For more information about Cornerstone Baptist Church, please visit us at cornerstonewiley.org. Let's open God's Word now. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is where we'll be this morning. We're going to begin reading in verse 12. Obviously, there's a context to what's going on here. This is the 15th chapter of a 16-chapter letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. He had much to say to them. We're just going to look at one little piece of this, but it's an important piece, not just for today, but for us as believers, for us who understand the gospel and everything that the gospel teaches, specifically about the life, the death, the resurrection of Christ, and what that accomplished for us. And we've been singing about it, we've been talking about the fact that by faith in Jesus, we have the hope that resurrection is coming for us as well. And this passage of Scripture is answering some objections to that idea. So it's an important one, not just for today, but for us as believers in Christ. And for those of you who have questions about, maybe you're here, you're not a believer in Christ, you have questions about the faith, and this is one of them. This is a glaring one. My hope today is that by reading the Word and studying it together and answering some of those questions, that you can come away with a genuine and sincere hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm going to begin reading in verse 12. And I'm going to read through verse 22, then I'll pray, and then we'll talk together. Paul says this, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. This is God's Word. Would you pray with me before we go any further studying it? Father, I do thank you for this gathering. I thank you for this day. I thank you for every soul represented here. From the most seasoned saint among us to the, to the innocent children who are singing and crying Father, I thank you for every soul in this building, and I pray that our time together today would not be in vain, that it would not be futile, that that you would meet with us. If all we've done today is gather to hear what I have to say, then, Father, we can go away 
empty, but we have come to hear what you have to say, what you have revealed to us, to remember what you have done, and to understand its implications not only for this life, but for the life that is to come. And so, Lord, would you accomplish your purpose through the preaching of your word? Would you convict sinners and draw us closer to you? Would you comfort those who need comfort? Would you allow the truth of the gospel gospel to be so clear that even our children can understand it this morning by your Spirit's power? And would you accomplish your purpose among your people to bring glory to your name and to draw us to you? Father, that is our hope. That is my prayer. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Easter is about new life. It's about the power of resurrection life, overcoming the cold and hopeless logic of death. It is a celebration of Jesus Christ being raised from the dead to show that God has designs on turning the world upside down. God can bring life, vibrant, grace-overturning, pulse-regenerating, world-changing life out of cold, dark, and lifeless tombs. That's what he does. But of course, our world doesn't believe in such things. The atheist believes that life springs forth from slime, that it has no purpose except what purpose we give to it, and it all ends in death. Death dominates the atheist worldview, producing a hopeless nihilism. You may know this name, you may not, but the sentiment is pretty consistent within the atheist worldview, Albert Camus maintained that in light of the meaninglessness of this picture of life, the only really serious philosophical question is whether or not we should take our own life. If there is a hopeless end, why continue on is his point. But the biblical story is a story of God speaking life into existence. In the beginning, God God spoke life into existence. He's the author of life. He sustains all of life by his powerful hand. And he even has a promise and a purpose for life after what we would consider the end of it. He formed Adam from the dust of the ground. And then the Bible says that he breathed life into his lungs and made him a living being. The whole world teems with life. And the ultimate purpose of it all is to bring glory to God. The godless, the atheistic story of this world is that life is little more than an accident. It has no author, no purpose, no significant hope, save all that you can get out of it in the 80 or so years that you're here. And in the end, death reigns finally. So what I'm presenting to you today and what I think is contained within this passage is the contrast between the logic of death and the power of of life. Which story is energizing you? Which story has gripped your heart? Which story is animating the way you live? Is it the cold and hopeless logic of death or the supernatural resurrecting power of life? We don't often think this deeply, right? I mean, we, we tend to stay on the surface with most of our conversations. How are the cowboys doing? How are the rangers doing? Democrat or Republican? Rich or poor, right? 
popular, unpopular, young or old. We stay on the surface with most things. But the gospel of Jesus Christ forces us to look deeper, to think deeper about what we truly believe. And that is what animates our lives, what we truly believe. The Bible holds out to us two pictures A life dominated by sin that leads to death or a life surrendered to God that leads to eternal life. Two paths, two ways. And this is happening in each one of us right now. Your faith commitments are taking you somewhere. What you believe deep down in your soul is leading to an eternal existence. And if if you're tired and fed up with dying inside, and you're open to coming alive to the risen Lord Jesus Christ, then he is willing, he gives himself away to us today, to all of those who are willing to taste life for a change. So that's what we're going to be thinking about for the next 30 minutes. The logic of death and the power of life. And you've seen it in the text, right? As the Apostle Paul is writing to this church, and he's been addressing all of these different problems, he finally comes to the problem of trying to comprehend the resurrection. Now, I'll say something about this church, right? You, you may have studied this before. You may know a little bit about this church. The, the letter that Paul has written here is addressed to the saints, to the called out ones in the city of Corinth. Right? He addresses them from the very beginning as believers. Right? When he calls them saints, he's calling them Christians. But the whole book is him addressing all of their problems as Christians. Amen? Right? Any Christian in here believe that you've got it all figured out? If, if so, you, you may not understand what it means to be a Christian. We are imperfect believers in a perfect Savior. Amen? That's what we are. We are sinners who need a Savior. And this church is filled with people just like us. They have glaring problems. They're not living out the implications of God's Word. They're not living out the implications of the Gospel. They're showing favoritism. They like this preacher over that preacher. And one of the preachers that they're comparing them to is Jesus. And Paul says, wait a minute, what are you talking about? Jesus is God. I'm just a slave. I'm just a servant. Don't put me on par with him. They're immature and selfish. They're taking one another to court to settle their problems because they don't have enough spiritual maturity to work through those things. They've got all kinds of issues. They're still looking to the world to help them solve their problems rather than humbling themselves and looking to Christ and to his word. And when they come to the resurrection, they got some big problems over the resurrection. They don't know what to do with this. They don't know how to understand this. They're trying to make sense out of this. They're struggling to understand things, and maybe you're here doing the same thing. Look, I don't, I don't pretend to understand all of the, the, the realities and all of the scientific intricacies and all of that. I believe that the resurrection is a miracle of God. The supernatural creator has made his way into this natural world and has turned it upside down. We don't have a scientific explanation for that. That's what they're trying to figure out, and the Apostle Paul is going to try to help them understand just how important this doctrine of the resurrection is. The Bible reveals that life is so much more than matter and space and time. There are spiritual realities at work in us. There are realities that we cannot taste 
or touch or smell. And we can't see them, but they're all around us. All of life is imbued with this spiritual power. It's at work in our universe. It's at work in our world. It's at work in our daily lives. And the resurrection from the dead falls into the category of a supernatural reality that we cannot fully comprehend. So don't think that we're, too, that we're that much better than the saints at Corinth, right? Martin Luther had a phrase, a Latin phrase, simul justus et peccator, simultaneously righteous and sinners at the same time. Right? That's what we are. And we don't fully understand and comprehend this. We need God to reveal it to us. And that's why it's so important that we have God's word. Because he answers the questions. We understand that death is normal. Death is the natural end of life. Everything dies. Everyone dies. It is inevitable. Like that statement Benjamin Franklin once made, in this world nothing can be certain save death and taxes, right? It's a cynical notion, yes, but that's the logic of death. That's the certainty of death. It is the unavoidable certainty. It is the end that every man must face. And that's why they're having a a struggle with it. How can something overturn this? So Paul examines the logic of death, and he helps us to understand where it will take us, because it's, it's even worse than we first imagined. He forces us to consider what it means to reject the resurrection of Christ, what it means to reject the resurrection from the dead in total. And he does this in a series of conditional statements. If this is true, then this is the outcome. So let's look at these statements. He says, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, then how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? One of the the central truths of the gospel, one of the unique peculiarities of biblical Christianity is the reality of the resurrection. The gospel, which is the central truth of our Christian faith, Right? The central truth of the Christian faith is not, if you're a good person, God will love you in the end. The central truth of the Christian faith is that God, in his love for sinful humanity, sent his son to live for us and to die for us, and then to show that he approved of everything Christ accomplished, God raised him from the dead. To show that it is finished, that our hope is in him, that our salvation is based upon his work. Your salvation is not based on your work. It's based on his. And, and the, the resurrection is central to the gospel. At the beginning of chapter 15, if you still have your Bibles open, you can look up to the first few verses. The, the resurrection is central to the gospel. Paul says this, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas. He appeared to Peter. Then he appeared to the 12, the other disciples. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. And then Paul says, and last of all, he appeared to me. The gospel tells us that Jesus, the Son of God, lived a sinless life on this earth for for 33 years. But he posed such a threat to the Jewish community and the religious community there that the religious leaders had him killed. And they thought that was it. Right? They assumed, based on the logic of death, that his days of stirring up the crowd were over. They assumed that the crucifixion would take care of their Jesus problem. That's the way the world thinks about men and women who threaten their influence and power. How do you kill an uprising? 
even one based on grace and love. Well, you go after the leader and you take his life. Surely if you take his life, there's no coming back from death. That's the logic of death. But that's not where the logic of death ends. Look at verse 13. He says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. You know, every ideology, every religion has an answer to the question of what happens after we die. Some religions teach that the body dies and the soul lives on to engage in this cycle of reincarnation in some other form. Some believe in a form of dualism that views the body and the flesh and matter as evil and the soul is the thing that's good. And when, and when we die, the soul is freed. The soul of man is freed from the shackles of this evil body and it enters a state of spiritual freedom. You've probably heard of that. Hinduism believes that the soul simply merges with the cosmic unity. I'm not sure what that means, but they describe it as a drop of water in an ocean. You're not significant, you're just part of everything. Kind of like the, the Avatar movie and the Tree of Souls. You kind of, maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't. Not a recommendation, by the way. The materialist believes in utter extinction. Death, it's over. There is no soul to live on, only the body that dies and brings a person's complete existence to an end upon death. But the Bible teaches something very different. The Bible teaches that God made us body and soul, a complete and living human being, and that the resurrection that Jesus enjoyed and that is promised to his followers that that resurrection is a resurrection of both body and soul. The body of a person, the soul of a person are both created by God. They come together to form a complete being. Remember back in Genesis 1, I quoted it earlier, God formed Adam out of the dust, his body, and then God breathed the breath of life into him. And it was when he breathed into him that he became a living being. Life, according to the resurrection, life, according to God, involves both body and soul. That's what resurrection entails. When Christ rose from the grave, he was a complete being, not simply a spirit. He was not an apparition. He, was, he possessed a resurrected body. And that's the promise that we have as well. But the logic of death says there's no way for that to happen. The logic of death says there is no resurrection, and therefore Christ has not been raised. Look back at verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching and your faith is in vain. If Jesus is still in the tomb, then why are we here celebrating? If Jesus is still dead, then why do we get up early on Sunday mornings to come here and, and worship him? and read our Bibles and pray? Why do preachers preach and believers believe? If the resurrection of Christ is an essential element of the gospel and Christ has not been raised, then you understand the next point, then it's all in vain. The word vain, it means empty. It means hollow. It means vacuous. It means that something is devoid of any purpose or advantage or benefit. Why preach about a dead Savior? Why worship a deity who died? The logic of death renders faith meaningless and spiritual faith a truth of no value. If Christ has not been raised, then I and every other preacher is nothing more than a charlatan, an eloquent liar with nothing to offer. 
but it gets worse. Look at verse 15. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he, was ra- that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if, the true, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If this logic holds up, if resurrection is not true, then you are still in your sins. Sin has been described as like a great burden on our back that we can't get free from. Sin is the ultimate reason why there is pain in the world. It's the ultimate reason why hatred exists. It's the reason why death is a reality for all of us. Sin entered the world through our first parents, Adam and Eve, and there isn't a single element of human existence or this created world that hasn't been corrupted by sin. Sin is what happens when we thumb our nose at God and his word. Sin is the pride in our hearts that causes us to live as though we sit upon the throne of creation. Sin is the refusal to love God the way he deserves to be loved. And it is the refusal to love his creatures, our neighbors, the way they deserve to be loved. Sin is us elevating our desires above God's commands, above God's thoughts, above God's truth. It's giving our devotion to anything or anyone over him. Sin is the impulse that brings about the destruction of human life in the womb. It causes evil people to research and plan and carry out attacks upon children and teachers at schools across the country. Sin is the cause of broken hearts and broken homes and broken marriages and broken families and broken dreams. Sin causes us to embrace the logic of death as a way of life. And if there is no power greater than death, If there is no hope of resurrection, then you and I and everyone else are still under the weight of all of that sin. That's a pretty empty, cold logic. Verse 18, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they have perished. Meaning, they're gone. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If the logic of death has the final word, then hope is completely lost. We have all lost someone that we love, right? And the hope of seeing them again is a powerful hope. We comfort our minds with thoughts of them being at peace. We comfort our hearts And we cope with their passing by acknowledging that they're no longer sick, they're no longer hurting, they're no longer struggling, but they have found peace and rest in Christ. But the belief that we will see them again in the resurrection is one of the most powerful sources of hope that we have. But if that hope is vain, if that hope is empty, if that faith is vacuous because the resurrection is a lie, Paul says we are the most miserable people in the world. Friends, here's what I'm trying to say. The logic of death leaves no room for hope. It gives no reason for faith. It removes all purpose in preaching. It shackles us to our sin and it makes life miserable. This is the logical conclusion 
to one who embraces the mindset of death. And we live in a culture of death. We are surrounded by it. We live in a culture, in a world that is committed to death's logic. But I have news for you. In fact, I have good news for you. Death is not the end, and death will not have the final word. The logic of death, according to today, gives way to the power of life. Look at verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Now I want you to to do something that you've probably never done before. I want you to praise God for that three-letter word, but. All of that cold, hopeless logic of death is washed away when Paul turns on that whole logic and says, But that whole logic has been undone because Christ has, in fact, been raised from the dead. Amen? Christ has been raised from the dead. We don't have to grieve over the hopelessness of death's logic because the gospel is true and Christ has been raised from the dead. The supernatural life of God flowed into the lifeless body of our Lord Jesus Christ and overcame the death that was present there. The synapses in his brain began to fire again. The blood in his veins started flowing again. The life that he gave up in faith on the cross was given back. And God raised him from the dead. Death comes naturally. But resurrection comes supernaturally. And that's what Easter is all about. It is a celebration of the supernatural reality of resurrection. We call it Easter. We, we had this conversation in our prayer meeting this morning. We call it Easter. Easter is an old English term that identifies this thing that was known as the Christian festival of the resurrection. I prefer to call it Resurrection Day because that cult cuts through all of the confusion. It cuts through all of the cultural nonsense. It cuts, cuts through all of the religious confusion and says, look, this day is about one thing, resurrection. The power of God overcoming death. We celebrate today the historical reality that a first century Jewish rabbi named Jesus, who also happens to be the the one and only Son of God, he was crucified in Jerusalem during Passover week on Good Friday, and then three days later, he was raised from the dead. We are celebrating the theological reality that by his death, burial, and resurrection, we who believe in him have been freed from our sins and have been granted eternal life as a gift. We are celebrating the present reality that because of Christ's resurrection from the dead, we of all people have reason to live our lives with an indestructible hope. And no matter how good or how bad things are going in life, God has a plan for us and he is working out all things according to his purpose for the good of those who love him. And we are celebrating the supernatural reality that the founder of our faith went through death and came out alive on the other side. He is risen. He is risen indeed. That was the message that transformed the shocked and timid disciples of Christ into a hope-filled and fearless army of gospel world changers. Jesus Christ died on Friday and they saw it. 
And then God raised him from the dead on Sunday, and they saw that as well. The tomb is empty, and our Savior lives, and that is good news for us. Because he lives, we who trust in him are no longer in our sins. Jesus offered his life, he offered his blood as the payment, the due penalty for the sins of his people. He offered himself as our substitute. He is the sacrificial lamb that died in the place of his people. And his resurrection means that he fully accomplished what he set out to do. Because he lives, we who trust in him have hope that death is not the end for us. The reality is that most of us in this room will close our eyes in this world. But when we open them, we will see our Savior. And when He returns, our bodies will be resurrected and made new. And He will join our bodies, our resurrected bodies, to our souls that are with Him. And we will always be with the Lord. Christ conquered death. He turned death upside down and he promises that all who trust in his soul saving sacrifice, we will also experience the power of his resurrection on that day. Christ's story didn't end under the logic of death. And if you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, if you have received him with the empty hands of faith, Your story will not end with the grisly logic of death either. You will be with him when he grants you new life. It was through Adam that death's logic was introduced to the world. But through Christ, the power of life has come to have the final word. Those are the options. The logic of death. The power of resurrection life. You know, it was C.S. Lewis that reminded us that there are no ordinary people in this world. And he went on and he explained it. He said that you have never talked to someone who is a mere mortal. His point is this, we're all going to live for eternity. We have souls that will never die. We will live for eternity one way or another, but our spiritual destination is determined by the path that we choose in this life. And Jesus made that abundantly clear in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said that all of humanity is on one of two paths, either the narrow path or the broad path. The broad path is easy to find because most of the world is already on that path. They're already following it. It accepts every belief, every lifestyle, every action, and it says they're all equal. They're all fine. The world loves the broad way, but Jesus warned us that it leads to destruction. It follows the logic of death. It leads away from God. It leads away from forgiveness. And it ends in eternal judgment. But there's another way. Jesus said it's the narrow way. It's the way that is, well, narrow. Not everyone's on that path. It's the path of Jesus. He said it is narrow and it is dangerous. It's the path of truth. It's the path of faithfulness. It's the path of repentance. It's the path of hope. The world doesn't like this path. But Jesus promised that it's the path that leads to life. It's the path that is illuminated by the power of life. It's the path that leads to God, to peace, to forgiveness, and ultimately to rest. The gospel message is crystal clear. The question is, which path are you on? Are you trusting in Christ, 
to save you from sin, to save you from death's cold logic? Have you abandoned your self-salvation mission? Have you abandoned the logic of the world and, and put your hope and trust in the one who leads us to eternal life? And he has given us the guarantee by giving his life and having it raised from death to show this is the path that leads where you want to be. Have you turned away from your own way and chosen his way? Which path are you on? And if you have chosen that way, are you trusting in the power of his resurrection life? Are you growing as a believer to embrace the gospel? The church at Corinth were believers, but they didn't know what to do with this. And Paul says, you've been missing out on this. You've been missing out on how important this is for you and for your hope and for the way you live. And every person you see needs to hear this message because there is no mere mortal in this room or in this world. We will all live for eternity. The question is, at what destination? The gospel message is crystal clear. We have been created by a holy God, and we have sinned against him. Our biggest problem is not that we need more education or more freedom or more money or more laws or better ideas. Our biggest problem is that we are sinners, and we are powerless to solve that problem on our own. We cannot overcome death on our own. We cannot remove sin on our own. We cannot erase the guilt of our past, but Jesus can, and he will. Jesus can overturn the logic of death because on the cross, he took our death on himself. He suffered under its weight, and he died to pay its price. He suffered the darkness of death that we deserve so that we can trust in him and have the power of resurrection life. That's what today is all about. And we celebrate this reality, but at some point, and I hope this is the point, this has got to come home to you. This truth has got to settle in your heart. And my hope and my prayer is that by God's grace and by the Spirit's power, you will come to embrace the logic of life, the power of life, not the logic of death. So would you pray with me? And ask the Holy Spirit to move and accomplish his purpose in this. Father, I do thank you for your word. I thank you for this amazing truth that we can't fully comprehend. We can't fully get our minds around it. But it is the power that you have revealed to overcome our greatest enemy. Sin that leads to death. Father, I pray that in these next few moments, as we, as we sing, I pray that your spirit would move. That you would allow stony heart to become hearts of flesh that you would allow dead souls to be made alive by your spirit, that you would overcome the questions in our mind and the, and the darkness that is there and that you would bring life into our, our bodies, into our souls. Father, I pray for salvation to be the result of this day and we trust you with that. Would you accomplish that purpose, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.